0: Hello and welcome to the Talk to Defeat ALS podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the ALS Association, Greater Philadelphia Chapter. And uh, we're here today with a couple very special podcast episodes. Um, We have had many different podcasts discussing research, care services, advocacy, and all other parts of our mission. Those are the core parts, of course. And um, we just had a very um, major conference in Texas to talk about uh, clinical care and Topics that I'm not an expert in, but thankfully we have guests who are, and we're going to be talking in a two-part series here on our podcast about what happened at the ALS Clinical Conference and what that is, and some of the lessons learned from that moving forward uh, to help with ALS care and research, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So this one, part one, we have our Director of Care Services, Steve Spaulding. Steve, say hi.
1: Hello, folks. All right. I was waiting for you
0: to say hi. No one can see you. Like, nodding doesn't work on a podcast. (laughs) Um, and we have Elisa Brownlee, director hi. of our assistive technology program. And Elisa, I know you just said hi, but interrupt. Hi. You. And Gail Hausman, nurse at our chapter, who's been with us for almost as long as Elisa, but both of them quite a while. So Gail said hi. Hi. And uh, so, Elisa, I'm glad we're starting part one with you three, um, because you can explain what is the clinical conference. Sure. You've been there before.
2: Yes. Um... So we started a, the National Association started a clinical conference, oh, I want to say uh, 15, 18 years ago, and it was just a small group of individuals, and it was in conjunction with Advoc- Advocacy Day. So um, I, I want to say about 10 years ago, the, the National Office realized the importance of having a conference totally dedicated to clinical professionals and we've done that every two years since um, every year it's grown and grown we have representation from almost all over the country and this year actually we had um, uh, folks from the ALS Society of Canada come down um, so again we do this every two years And we rotate where uh, convenient City, this year it happened to be Dallas, which was, uh, well, Fort Worth, excuse me, which was an easy fly-in from all over the country. Uh, We had 507 attendees, um, and almost 400 of them were medical were medical professionals that were there for continuing education credits. And
0: that's great. You've been there before. Can you put that in context? Is that a big, <laughs> is that a big spike?
2: Huge, huge spike. I think the largest number we ever had before was about 320, Oh, wow. That is big. And so that was in Arizona. So this one was, you know, 25% more. If not, I don't know my math fairly well, but uh, it was huge. A big difference from uh, 2016.
0: And do you think that's – is that because there's anything – bigger going on? Is there more interest? Or like the amount of people providing care is growing? Well,
2: the disease itself doesn't change. But the way we treat it certainly does. Right. And there are new drugs to talk about that Gail's going to be talking about. But there's uh, a lot of more interest in palliative care for our folks with ALS, which was really driven home at this conference, I believe. There were five different top um, oral presentations on palliative care.
0: And before, I know we, I know either that, we've discussed before. Explain palliative care in a sentence.
2: Um, symptom management, really, for the person with ALS? Yeah.
0: Which is a lot of part what we do. Right. Not we, not me necessarily, but the ALS Association does.
2: Right. And one of the things that um, was also uh, a priority at the conference was talking about our veterans with ALS. As almost everyone knows, our veterans have a 60% higher incidence rate than the general public. Um, and we had a, a tremendous amount of people at the conference who not only worked for the Veterans Administration but also spoke on behalf of the VA, of their programs, of their palliative care program, of uh, what other veterans were addressed. Do you guys remember? Um, oh, we had a, 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 one of the doctors from the VA talked about adaptive sports. That's never been mentioned at an ALS conference before. So it was it was a real asset to have the VA so well represented. And, and from a an attendee standpoint, it's good that I know what the VA pays for, what they don't, and how to maneuver through the VA system, which is very different than maneuvering through the insurance system.
0: And I've been here a lot less than you. I've been here for seven years. You've been here for 20 plus. Um, and you've been here before it was considered a service-connected disease. Mm-hmm. So this, it's been a very big positive change in terms of the relationship with the VA absolutely that's that's a really big positive step that I don't think a lot of people will appreciate because why would they until if they didn't know that history
2: and some VAs are actually having an ALS clinic do you want to talk a little bit about our ALS clinic in Philadelphia Dr. Quinn
1: yeah, so, um, so Dr. Quinn uh, runs the VA Philadelphia VA um, ALS clinic, and they do a really nice job there. Basically, that captures not only the immediate Philadelphia area, but folks come in from uh, other parts of the whole eastern half of Pennsylvania to uh, the VA in Philadelphia. And uh, he has been collaborating with us and has been uh, coordinating with us to really provide Uh, an extender into the community with all of our care services as well as supporting the work that he and his team do there. Uh, The VA clinic is relatively new, I guess it's a couple of years years. and so it's grown over uh, and certainly grown recently and um, we're happy to be partnering with Dr. Quinn and his team in helping to continue to develop that effort to meet the needs of veterans in our immediate area throughout as well as throughout our entire chapter footprint. We also work at our Hershey Clinic with the VA in Central Pennsylvania and have an excellent relationship with them as well, um, also to serve our our population in the western part of our our chapter.
2: And one of the things I just want to mention since we're talking about the VA clinic is that it, it, it emulates a regular ALS multidisciplinary clinic. I think sometimes people think, oh, it's a VA clinic, I'm just seeing the VA doctor, and that's not true.
1: That's correct. Yeah, it is a multidisciplinary uh, treatment team, just like our other clinics. So you're seeing PT, OT, speech therapy, our social workers, um, uh, nurses, and uh, and then all the, the sort of support services. So assessment for um, uh, measurement for power wheelchair. And then, of course, we support them in the community in terms of extending for equipment and needs. Um, and all of that loops together in one process, as it does with all of our clinics
2: and i think that was why it's so vital to have the va be part of this clinic be am uh, sorry this this conference because they are more and more clinics are now working in conjunction with the als association va clinic. so it's it's really important that we move together almost as a unit to provide better care um to people with als veterans and non-veterans
0: and the non-veterans too because i know that a lot of those um, veterans that go to the VA clinics end up helping us in various ways. Mm -hmm. They're a very giving group. There's one who told me, what can I do to help more? Just this week for Thanksgiving, they wanted to help someone in need. Well, that's amazing. But also, because the VA, as you said you were learning at the conference, does so many things, we learn other things that we could do better.
2: And I think that's the, the beauty of the clinical conference, I think, is that we all walked away with something that we were really jazzed about. And I think you said it right, Gail. She said mm-hmm. she felt recharged because mm-hmm. there's a lot of drain in, in the work that we do.
0: Understandably, yeah.
2: And and I loved your terminology of being recharged. Um, but I walked away with... with so many different ideas for assistive technology. I mean, I did two presentations, um, one on home modifications and one on voice banking. But I learned mostly from my colleagues. And I go, oh, I, you're doing that? I'm going to emulate that. <laughs> so that's what I walked away from, is that I, I got some great ideas from my other fellow assistive technology colleagues.
1: Yeah, and I think to, to, to follow up on Elisa's point... Um, you know, one of the wonderful things about this clinic, um, this uh, clinical conference, was that our chapter had the opportunity to share some of our best practices, our good mm-hmm. ideas, the things we've learned, as well as take away some great ideas and things from other chapters that they've developed around the country. So we got an opportunity to, in addition to the excellent presentations that Elisa contributed, we got to talk about some of the early uh, data on radicava, which Gail will talk about in a little bit, and we got an opportunity to share a little bit about um, Uh, the social work perspective on caring for the caregiver and helping them to care for those that they're caring for. Um, And then talk about some um, very prevalent issues around uh, the Medicare home care benefit and many other topics that we contributed to. And then, of course, things we took back with us in terms of great ideas and and concepts from around the country that we hope to implement here. And because we had
0: so many people contributing, um, i imagine that in addition to learning directly from listening to others just taking the time to put together those presentations you end up learning more about cuz you you don't have time to step back so gail you're nodding and i'm sorry that you uh, you were typing before so um what did you take into account from putting together your presentation what was your presentation
3: so um judy Guarnieri and i judy is a is a nurse practitioner at the Jefferson Weinberg ALS center So Judy and I um, uh, looked at our patients who were on um, Radicava over the last 12 months, and um, we we presented on that. We basically presented on the on the data um, that we got um, from um, either objective data or subjective data. So um, you know, just to start about Radicava, the drug was approved in Japan and South Korea. Um, to treat ALS. It it was based on a study that MT Pharma did um, that looked at um, people with ALS who uh, had to meet certain inclusion criteria. Um, They were mostly higher functioning people in the sense that their um, functional rating scale um, had to be one of the higher scales. Um, There's a bunch of different categories and the categories are from zero to four and people had to score at least a two in each category so uh the, the participants of this study were all people that were higher functioning had a higher force vital capacity which is when you blow into the into the uh, tube um, They all had to have um, two years or less onset of uh, symptoms and they had to have a clinical definite or probable ALS. They also had to be people with ALS who showed some decrease over time in their functional rating scale because there are people with ALS who show little to no decrease in their functional rating scale over a period of time. And so the Japanese study, uh, they wanted to make sure that these were people that um, were people that, that were going to um, progress over time.
0: So that means they were progressing before they got on radicaba.
3: Yes. There was a, what they call an observation period to make sure that all of these participants were people that were progressing o- over time.
0: And part of the reason you're able to do this reporting is because you've been working there on this for so many years. Um, Judy has, too. So you know the kind of data to be getting for years before this. So you're not right. going in blind to any of this information.
3: Right. So then we, um, uh, you know, the Japanese study, what what came out of that was that um, there was a statistical significance between the um, patients getting the radicava. Uh, versus the patients getting the placebo. And just as an FYI, in Japan, the drug is called endarabone, but it's the same as we call it, we call it radicava Rata, here. Um, so there was a, a statistical significance um, about um, a third, there was a third less pr- progression in the in the radicava group. So based on that information, our FDA approved the drug in May of 2017. um, First drug in 22 years um, that's been out for treatment of ALS. um, And our first patient at the Jefferson Clinic uh, was given radicaba um, in in September of 17. So um, we looked at 23 patients over a period of 12 months to see about objective data um, and subjective re- reports. And basically, we, ju- we just presented on our, on our, on our data. Um, we also presented on um, some of the problems that we've run into, um, getting it covered by insurance. Um, getting people to get to a center to get the radicava because it, it's given via an IV, a port usually in the chest, and um, we had to for some of these patients based on their insurance they had to go to a place to get the to get the drug. Um, the fact that it's given um, ten days you're on the drug, then you're off for fourteen days, then you go back for ten days, then you go off for 14 days and it's back, it's back and forth. So basically every two weeks they have to go and get, and get the drug. Um, it's not covered by, by all insurances. Um, so there's, you know, there's issues, um, getting, getting the port set up. We, we wondered about quality of life. Like, you know, is this something that we want to recommend based on quality of life? Um, because of the, the you know the going back back and forth to get to get the drug, uh, we also were concerned about um, the people that were um, at the point of needing either palliative care or hospice if this would would delay them getting on uh, the palliative care or hospice program. Um, so we had 20, 23 patients that we looked at, and and basically we uh, we looked at. Um, Uh, Their functional rating scale, so after six months, the drop was about 4.9 or so. And after nine months, the drop was about um, 6.3. And that's that's a little less than what's considered average as far as the functional rating scale. The average is about 1.1 decrease in the functional rating scale per, per month.
0: But now you might have more things to look at because you've done a lot of this data crunching,
3: right? So the other thing that we found is people that had sort of the atypical form of ALS, meaning that they were uh, either upper motor neuron or lower motor neuron predominant, had practically no progression. Although we would expect them to have very, very, very little progression over over time. Um, and then there were, you know, adverse effects. Uh, Subjective complaints, there were objective complaints like fever, weight loss, infected ports. Um, Subjectively, uh, you know, some of the folks felt like they they were not sure if it helped. Some folks felt like it didn't help. The majority felt as if the drug did help them in various ways. Um, So then... um, Judy and I uh, mentioned or talked about the functional rating scale, which is the tool that they used in the Japanese study to measure functional decline in ALS, and there's some literature out there suggesting that the functional rating scale is not um, the best scale to use uh, independently to look at functional decline, but um, so we just... Talk, talked about that a little bit. We also talked about barriers to receiving radicava in that it's not covered by all health insurance. So we have some people that um, are just not able to take to get on the drug because it's about 148000 a year for this medication. And most people don't have the funds for that. Um, Medicare, if you're on Medicare, it will only cover you if you go to a center so we have two patients that were not able to get on radicava because they had nobody to take them to the to the places to get it the cost of the drug um we talked about um uh patient and caregiver expectations about about radicava we felt like we needed to explain that you know this isn't a cure it's supposed to slow progression um, we, we talked about hospice versus going on radicava. Rat- that hospice is not going to pay for radicava, for rat- um, and that the Japanese study was was limited as far as um, length of time that they that they studied this. So they looked at uh, patients on drug, and then they looked at people getting placebos or patients get getting placebos over a six-month period so we were wondering what happens like after the six months i mean is the drug still going to be effective um and then um there we talked about that there's no conclusive evidence that um on the effectiveness of RATACAVA for ALS people who do not meet the Japanese criteria. So for our people that, that had um, lower functional rating scores and lower force vital capacities and maybe had ALS for a while, there's no, there's no data that suggests that RATACAVA would be helpful for them. It, you know, it might be, but there's no, there's no data. We also wondered how helpful it, it will be o- over time. So you, so there'll be more information that you'll need to get and will get in the future. Well, we're hoping for ongoing research um, to look at um, radicava for 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 patients or or for people with ALS who don't necessarily meet the Japanese criteria, and we're also looking for. Um, uh, research that focuses on, on, on measuring what radicava is supposed to do. Radicava is supposed to sort of fight the um, oxidants in our in our um, you know in our in our system, and so we're 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 hoping to see research that suggests that the radicava is doing what it's supposed to be doing.
0: So, but you know, from your years of experience, it'll take time to get all this information. There'll be new data over the years. And hopefully that, that information, the studies, will improve how what your recommendations are, the treatment levels, right. um, make it easier, hopefully, to get the drug access to it. Yeah. So the information that you put together and presented, that kind of information going forward will hopefully lead to better treatments with this drug and with of future drugs as well. Yes. That's the goal.
2: Was there any discussion at the conference about um, the, the clinical trial of the drug uh, radicava in the pill form.
3: No, we, we I mean I, I did hear about that but we didn't we didn't we didn't bring that up. Not I you, but there wasn't was there any nah, at the comment? nobody okay. nobody happened to talk about that.
0: So he, there's a lot that will be discussed. Yeah right that's in the future, in
3: yeah. The future. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so I you know it's exciting that there's a new treatment. It's the first treatment since you've been here. Yeah. Um and but you know with any new treatment there's gonna be fits and starts moving out and there's gonna be a lot of um, hopefully, potential positive growth, but you have yes. to keep waiting for that information, and it's not always easy to be patient for yeah. people with ALS or That's for right. any of us that care for them.
3: That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's good. So, are you glad you did it? Are you glad? Yeah. Glad it? it's over. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you seem a little
0: bit stressed going into it, right? <laughs> yeah.
3: There
0: was a lot to do, but it was well received, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. you uh, had one of the busiest. Yep.
0: Yeah. We yeah. Um, 507 people there. There were probably. 503 that were watching, right? One nah. couple of people just said.
2: Well, I nah. have to say, I spoke at the same time she did, and my room was half empty, and her room was, was overflowing. Right. <laughs> so, but that's okay. That's what we had three tracks at once. Mm-hmm. So, I just happened to draw the unlucky straw going against you. But this is the information that people wanted, and I think it proves why this conference is so important that they wanted to hear your information.
0: That's yeah. that's good, and they, and also that they trust where you're coming from. It's not like yeah. you're like your gail houseman um person on the street you and judy you come forth with your own credentials that people can say i there are people we should listen to right the clinical conference is full of people like yourselves who people want to hear what you have to say if i went to present and said something not that i'm not a smart person but people are going to care more about what you as a nurse with many years of experience and judy from her work they're going to care about what you have to say because you're going to know better all right (laughs) i i think so i would listen to you I ask you all sorts of questions, um, so you didn't have as many people at the same time. No, but people could still find your your yes. p- conference, right, Elisa? Yes, Alisa?
2: and and I will uh, and tell t- us what you
0: talked about because we didn't get to you. Yet.
2: Sure, I, I talked about uh, I did a two sessions on home modifications, and then I did a session on voice banking. Um, I should point out that the national office is going to have all of these presentations housed. In a website so that the general public can click on and get Gail slides and anybody else that uh, you want to see you can see their PowerPoint or their PDF Mm -hmm. um, so that you you don't have to attend the conference necessarily to see the content and that should be up I don't have an exact date we just sent everything to the national office last week but I'm gonna anticipate by early December it'll be up on a website
0: and the people that attended will be able to get in touch with the presenters like at yourself and Dale. Yep,
2: the presenters' uh, emails yep. and phone numbers will be there.
0: And that's one of the best parts of this conference is that interaction with people across the country.
2: Absolutely. So we had t- also, we had 27 different posters, and all the posters will also be in mm-hmm. that website. Um, the posters are going to be in PDF format, so they basically look like a picture, and mm-hmm. you can read uh, the poster uh, content. Uh, most of them are talking about a study, um, but some of the posters are not. Some of them are about programs, so you can absolutely click on them too to look at the posters.
0: Great. So, um, what did you most get out of presenting about? Like, what, because what, you've, have you presented there before? Uh huh. And, and so, um, can you give us a little bit more detail about like um, the main things that you were able to? discuss and learn even as you were putting it together
2: well the, there's two things the, the voice banking is is uh is changing the landscape of this is changing
0: how long is voice um, banking been going on Not
2: t- many many years right. like 20 years uh model talker started but now all these other companies are starting there's a company called Acapello, and then there's a project through the national office called project revoice mm-hmm. and so The options are getting better for our folks. Uh, In the old days, it would take like 20 hours to bank your voice. Now, you know, Acapella and Project Revoice are saying maybe three to four hours. Well, that's a huge difference for the person with ALS. It's a huge um, fatigue issue. They get tired. And so if we can uh, eliminate the needless time of voice banking. So that was one thing I was so glad to hear about these companies. And then um, the second was really interesting about home modifications because home modifications and when I do home visits about them are just not about the home. It turns into a whole uh, issue about home care and being left alone and, and, and wanting to stay in your place that is personal and that you have a connection to. And that's what the most times people feel about their homes and they also don't want to make changes. And no, I came from my grandmother who had a, a leopard skin sofa with the uh, the clear, you know, uh, the clear uh, mm-hmm. plastic around it. So you <laughs> would sit down in the summer, and your thighs would stick as you got up from the shirt. Yeah, my and my grandmother would be the perfect person to say that woman would have never moved an inch off of that coffee table to make room for a wheelchair or anything else. So, talking about home visits uh, for home modifications or even any kind of adaptations of their home environment is such a psychosocial issue. And I really felt um, that we had a a really great dialogue and sharing um, from not only the attendees that came to my session, but also a smaller session that we did. Like there's, there's just so much more involved in it. And so it was good to hear that because I tell Steve that all the time and I say to Gail, you know, I'm doing this home visit, but we didn't talk about home modification, (laughs) because it brings out it tends to bring out everything else that's going on in the house
0: mm-hmm.
2: so but that's what i walked away with
0: and that's something that i know you've been working on for so many years so as you yeah. can there's always ways to improve those conversations.
2: absolutely
0: and that and that in turn improves quality of life yep. and that's our main job here mm-hmm. is improving quality of life
2: and, and steve would talk about quality of life for kids right
0: oh yeah oh yeah. well, yeah, i didn't a, i didn't even re- realize the quality of life right. for kids that's something we don't talk about enough it's because we don't, it's a hard thing to talk about, just as, a, as human beings.
1: Yeah, we had, uh, I had an opportunity to, one of the things I attended, is called uh, Why care And uh, it's a program uh, that uh, Dr. Melinda Cavanaugh started at the University of Wisconsin. And she presented, I had an opportunity to speak with her a little bit. Basically, the program uh, provides what I would call a workshop. So that the kids come in, and it's typically a group of kids who have been pre-invited to come in and they move from sort of uh, area to area and it covers everything from training to uh, emotional support to dealing with tough issues that come up with either a family member who has ALS currently or unfortunately who was recently lost to ALS. And then there's the pre and post. So the program uh, supports the kids, you know, really before they even go into this workshop and then post that workshop in terms of what they do to support them. So it's a great model and, and something definitely one of those takeaways we talked about earlier in this conversation in terms of, uh, you know, what we might look at to do here in our chapter. Um, so, yeah, that that was really interesting. And then the other piece that I had an opportunity to be part of a conversation was the Medicare home care benefit. Yeah, you were talking um, about that earlier, today. yeah. yeah. It's a very complicated subject. It is a very complicated subject, and I think some of the basics of it that, you know, everybody can relate to and connect to is the frustration with what officially is sort of the word from CMS, which is Medicare, that, hey, you have access to a home care benefit, and the reality that finding a provider and having the ability to access that benefit is, uh, is either very difficult or impossible in many cases to, to actually utilize. There's a lot of reasons for that, but um, one of the takeaways in terms of the solution is our chapter in cooperation with the National Also Association is looking at the possibility of implementing um, a demonstration project, which would allow uh, us to show uh, CMS, Medicare, that there's a way to help fund in-home care uh, for folks with ALS and specifically, most importantly for folks who are vented and need nursing level or LPN level care for in-home care. Um, and uh, they're looking at potentially one of the options is called PACE, which is a program that's been in existence for about 15 years. It was originally designed for elderly folks, but it's basically wrap around care It's designed around a specific hub of treatment, and we in the Pennsylvania area call this LIFE programs, which a lot of your listeners uh, will be familiar with, the LIFE programs throughout the southeastern Pennsylvania, as well as actually throughout the state of Pennsylvania. So something along those lines uh, is being explored now as one way of addressing this issue and perhaps finally breaking through some of the barriers to actually achieve a real benefit uh, for people with ALS in the in-home care side. And
0: so attending this conference, just like Gail's information on Radhikawa, is not so much going to get the answer, but to better understand the problem so that we can be better advocates, Mm -hmm. um, both in terms of lobbying legislators and also advocates for the people we care for in that personal advocacy um, so that we might be able to get better answers to improve
1: the whole healthcare system, not just for people with ALS, potentially. Absolutely. The the, the applications of this are not only for our mission, but extend to the mission of many other uh, individuals and organizations. Yeah. Great. So the ALS association can lead the way.
0: And as Elisa remembers, it used to be one of our models, <laughs> I think. Uh, so uh, that's a benefit to this conference is that we're learning a lot about the, the problems that exist in better ways. So you're better educating, you're better presenting and learning through that education that you're learning through putting together your own presentations. I mean, this is why you're better present- presenters than I am because I can't see presentations. Um, and, That, in turn, we can kind of figure out what to do internally, right? As a care team, you can figure that out and provide better care and search for better answers.
2: And and I I would conclude by saying that um, getting us all together, healthcare professionals, and and I mentioned this earlier with with Gail's terminology of being replugged, but um, what we do is extremely tough. It is emotionally tough. Um, We get involved with our families. Um, we walked this journey with them. And at the conference, a lot of, uh, besides, you know, being recharged, we talked about resiliency, we talked about mindfulness, and we talked about taking care of yourself as a healthcare professional. And we hear that a lot, but, you know, you kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're in that session, that that teacher, that educator is making you <laughs> be mindful at mm-hmm. that time, you know, so she's, she or he is kind of, I'm not saying forcing, but they're, they're basically um, involving you in the exercise. And so it's, it's so important that we take care of ourselves. And I, and I saw that throughout the whole conference of people going, okay, I, I just, okay, they're right, you know, and, and validating sometimes the, the compassion fatigue that we have.
0: Yeah. And I see that all over the place when I go to meet with people. And I only see that on a separate level than what you do, because you're seeing the people with ALS daily and weekly, all the time at, cl- at clinics and at home visits, and I don't see it at the same level, but even from my distance, I can see how much that is an issue with personal caregivers, mm-hmm. and I know that everyone here has met hundreds or thousands of people with ALS over their years at the ALS Association, and it becomes very hard. Sometimes it feels hard to get criticism, too, because you're like, I, this is personal. I mean, right. it's, not just, <laughs> it's not just going into work and tuning it off at 5 o'clock or right. whatever time you leave. Yeah. So, well, thanks. I'm glad you guys got a lot out of it. Thank you. And uh, we're going to uh, get ready for part two with our social work team that went there, because it's a whole team experience, right, Steve? You, Absolutely. You, we don't yep. just have one type of caregiver. The, the clinics are a whole team team approach. And that's where we're going to keep going on with part two of this clinical conference. To find out more about how you can uh, get involved in the fight against ALS, contribute, volunteer, or learn about research and care services, go to ALSPhiladelphia.org. Of course, follow us on every social media channel as well at ALS Philadelphia on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, we had Snapchat for a minute, so maybe that still exists. Uh, and um, And we'll also on our Facebook include some of the links to this information so you can learn more. Thanks again, guys.
2: Thank you.